0: Can you hear me? Can you hear me now? All right. Hey, it works so much better when you turn it on. I'm still learning things. So (laughs) I'm glad you're here to be with us and to worship with us today. And if you're joining us online, thank you for joining us here today as well. Today we get to continue in a study on the subject of forgiveness. And if you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to turn to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. If you don't have a Bible, hopefully you receive that half sheet on your way in here. This is the passage that we're going to be looking at today. It's printed for you so that you can follow along with us. Now, we're doing a study on the subject of forgiveness. And last week, if you were here, you know that I, I shared with you my prayer for our church. And here's the prayer that I have for our church. The prayer is this, that God would do all that He needs to do in us so that He can do all that He wants to do through us. That God would do the work that He needs to do in our hearts and in our lives so that He could do the work that He wants to do through us as a church. And it's a bit of a dangerous prayer, isn't it? Because it opens ourselves up to the fact that God may need to dig in a little bit into our lives. And do a little work. But the truth is, we all know we need a little work in our lives, don't we? And for each and every one of us, that means that we need to experience God's forgiveness deep in our soul. And we need to understand how to express that forgiveness to others. That is part of the deep work that God wants to do in our lives and in our hearts. And I know that when I talk about forgiveness and I talk about the need to forgive other people, that each one of you probably has someone that comes to mind. That there's someone that you even have a picture of them as, you, as we talk about forgiveness. And the truth is they're the last person that you want to think about. But here's the truth. That if we, if you and I continue to allow unresolved forgiveness to chain us, to shackle us, It will keep us from being able to move forward to where God wants to take us. If we um, continue to hold on to grudges, we hold on to bitterness, if we hold on to resentment, we remain stuck. We stay stuck. And we won't experience what God has for us in order to move forward. So we have to take seriously the business of forgiveness. And say, God, will you do all that you need to do in my heart, in my life, so that you can do all that you want to do through my life? Instead of being stuck and shackled by the hist- our own personal history, God, will you help us to walk forward in the freedom that comes from forgiveness? That's why this is such an important study for us to be looking at. And last week, if you were here, you know that we talked about how God defines forgiveness. And today, we're going to talk about how Jesus demonstrates forgiveness forgiveness. And that's what we see in Luke chapter 23. We see Jesus demonstrating forgiveness on the cross. And what I'd like to do is read the passage um, together, and then we'll go back and we'll look at it verse by verse. But turn, like I said, to Luke chapter 23. We're going to begin in verse 32. This is what it says. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, "Father, forgive them, for they do not know what you are doing." What they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, "He saved others, let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one." we are punished justly, for we are getting what, we, what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Amen. Well, at this point, we're jumping in right into the crucifixion scene. Jesus has already been um, betrayed. He's been falsely accused. He's been tried. And now we have him at the scene of the cross. And it's interesting, Luke doesn't actually focus in on the crucifixion, that is the suffering of Jesus, but he does focus in on the people that Jesus came to save. And so we get a real clear picture Of who Jesus came to save when he died on the cross. And the question is well, who did Jesus come to save? Well, we see that beginning in verse uh, 32. Look at it with me. It says this two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. So the first people that we're introduced to in this passage are two criminals. The word criminal is really, you know, literally translated people who do bad people who do bad, which I don't know about you, but that also describes me. Whether we, whether we want to admit it or not, each and every one of us falls under that category somewhere, people who do bad. And so Jesus came to save people who do bad. And that includes you, and that includes me. This is who Jesus came to save. And the criminals are, are next to him and they're led out to be crucified. In verse 33, it says this When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. So it says, When they came out to the place called the skull, the place called the skull, it's also referred to as Golgotha or Calvary. It's the hill in which um, those who were crucified were executed. Now, I I take it that the the landscape had some resemblance of a skull. Now, we don't know that for sure, but that's why I think it's called the skull. But then it says, they crucified him there. The question is, who is they? Who are the they that crucified Jesus? Well, the they are the the Jewish leaders who uh, brought the charge against Jesus, and it's the Roman leaders who um, ordered the crucifixion. Of Jesus. And it's not just the leaders who are part of the they, but it's the crowd who are watching uh, and, 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 and crying out for the crucifixion, as well as the Roman soldiers who are part of, of making the crucifixion happen. So I, want to, I, I point this out because I want to be very clear that there are both Jewish people involved in the crucifixion, as well as non-Jewish people, Gentiles. And this is important, Because never should anyone, never let anyone tell you that the Jewish people killed Jesus. That is a a horrific distortion. And sadly, at times the church has said that as if the blame could be shifted. But the point is this, that there's a a large representation here, both Jewish people, non-Jewish people, and the point for us to feel as we read it is, yeah, that represents me too. I'm well represented in that crowd. I'm just like the criminal on the cross as much as I am the, a crowd, person in the crowd who's crying out for Jesus to be crucified, that Jesus came to save me as well as everyone else. That's the point there that we get. So what does it say? It says they crucified, they crucified him there. And again, they crucified him. Luke doesn't go into great detail about crucifixion, and he doesn't need to because in that day, crucifixion was a very understood um, punishment, but it was, in fact, the worst kind of punishment. Cicero said it's the worst and most hideous punishment there is. That it was brutal. That it was horrific. It was so horrific that the Romans passed a law that no Roman citizen could be, could be crucified. It was horrific. And so Luke doesn't go into it. They understand it. But it's totally a, a, a horrific way to die. And it says that they crucified him there along with the criminals. Um, it's a criminal's death. One on the right. And the other on his left. Now, again, Luke focuses in not on the details of the crucifixion and the suffering of Jesus, but he focuses in on people that Jesus came to save. And he begins, though, by kind of setting that scene, and then the camera angle zooms in on Jesus. Look at the next verse. It says this This is Jesus' response in all of this. It says this Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes. By casting lots. Again, the scene is set. The camera zooms in on Jesus. What is Jesus going to say? How is he going to respond to this horrific um, death that he's experiencing, this crucifixion on the cross? And what does Jesus do? He prays. He says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Isn't that shocking? It's incredibly shocking. And what makes it so incredible is not just what Jesus says, but what Jesus doesn't say. See, that's the part that's really confusing to us. Because Jesus does not say what we would expect him to say or what we would say if we were in that place. What Jesus does not say is, Father, I know you see what's going on right now. So will you make sure that there's payback? He does not say, Father, will you please avenge those who are abusing me? Please avenge those who are insulting me. Please avenge those who are celebrating my death right now. And make sure you give it to them good. Jesus does not pray, God, I want revenge. Will you pay them back? Big time. Jesus does not say those things. And this is shocking because I don't know about you, but that's probably what I would be saying on the cross in that moment. Because, can I say something? isn't revenge amazing? I mean, isn't it true? Revenge is sweet. And before you just shut me out right now, just listen. Don't we love a good revenge story? Don't we love retaliation? Don't we love payback? Don't we love reading books, watching movies, dreaming of ways that the people who have wronged us will be paid back? Just think of The Count of Monte Cristo, True Grit, movies like Mean Girls, (laughs) The Gladiator, Taken, Equalizer. I mean, there's something deeply satisfying, right? When you're reading those stories, when you're watching those movies, and you're like, whoa, yes, this is good. When the person who's wronged, finally gets to retaliate and give back to those for what they had done to them. They're holding the grudge and they're putting back into the face of those who have wronged them. There's part of us that viscerally loves that. Am I right? But here's the deal. Revenge is what we want but forgiveness is what we need. Revenge is what we want, but forgiveness is what we need. And we see that so clearly demonstrated by Jesus on the cross. We see a figure of one who had every reason to hold a grudge. We see the figure of one who had every reason to stand above those who were hurting him. We see the figure of one who had every reason to annihilate those who humiliated him, those who insulted him, those who abused him, those who were causing him suffering. But Jesus, Jesus doesn't pray for revenge. Instead, he prays for forgiveness. Hallelujah. And it helps us understand something that, yes, forgive, but revenge is something that we want, but forgiveness is what we need. And you might say, well, well, God has to forgive, right? That's part of his character. And yes, it's true. It is part of God's character to be forgiving. But he also chooses to forgive. He chooses forgiveness over revenge. He chooses forgiveness over retaliation. And he demonstrates that to us. This last week I met with somebody here who attends this church. And in the conversation that we were having, he was telling me that he knows he won't do this perfectly, but that his desire is to so be like Christ that he has a posture of forgiveness towards everyone, which would include forgiving people that he's never met or those who, when he meets them, they've never wronged him, but that he still has a posture of forgiveness towards them. As I listen, I'm like, oh, this is someone who understands the character of God. He understands that Jesus, as he was on the cross, was willing to forgive those who had wronged him and those who had not yet wronged him. He came with a posture of forgiveness. Revenge is what we want. Forgiveness is what we need. And Jesus demonstrates that for us on the cross. But now we see how Jesus responds. Then we turn to, to verse 35 to see how the people begin to respond. It says this in verse 35 The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, He saved others. Let him save himself. If he's God's Messiah, the chosen one. So there are some people who are just standing there watching, and there are the rulers who are sneering at him. And it's interesting what they say. It says, He saved others. Now, here's the thing this is fascinating, okay? Here the rulers are attacking Jesus. But in order to attack Jesus, they also have to say truths about Jesus, don't they? Oh, let's see if he saves others. Oh, yeah, because he did save, you know, save himself because he did save others. So they're testifying to the fact that Jesus actually did do miraculous work. They're testifying to the fact that, yes, Jesus did save others. So they're saying the truth about Jesus, begrudgingly, of course, in order to make um, jest and jeer at him in terms of, oh, we'll see if he can save himself, though. But it's, it's fascinating because they're pointing to his deity, even though they don't want to, because they're trying to attack him, which is just a fascinating thing. But still they reject him. And then the next verse talks about those who are mocking him. Verse 36 says, "...the soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar." And said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And so the soldiers jump in and they're mocking him as well. Um, and it's, it says that if you're the king, save yourself. So again, um, we'll, we'll see this in a moment. That, but Jesus is the king of the Jews and it's declared and, and the, 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 the soldiers are loving this. They're like, oh, you're the king, huh? And so they just can't wait to poke at, oh, king, oh, man. So, you know, so, you know, king, how can we serve you? And so they, they give him some wine vinegar, right? This is not like a gesture of kindness. I hope you realize that. They're mocking him. Oh, great king, can we give you some wine? Here's your cocktail, oh king. That's what they're saying to him. They're mocking him. They're making fun of him at his expense, they're saying, oh, if you're the king, why don't you save yourself? And then verse 38, we know why they're mocking him because it says this. There was a written notice above him which reads, which read, this is the king of the Jews. Now it was common practice in those days for those who were condemned to have a placard above their head with their crime so that anyone walking by would say, okay, this is, um, this is the punishment for those who commit this kind of crime. But Jesus had committed no crime. And so Pilate says, well, let's just write the king of the Jews. And if you remember, the Jewish leaders pushed back and said, well, let's just say that he said that he's the king of the Jews. And Pilate says, no, I'm leaving as it is. And why does Pilate do that? It is the truth. And and Luke wants us to know that this is the truth. But Pilate does it to dig. He does it to to get back at the Jewish leaders. He's saying, oh, I'm going to, this is my opportunity to annoy them. To annoy the Jewish leaders and the Jewish people. Because look, this is, this is how the Jewish people treat their king. And he's loving it. But at the same time, Luke wants us to understand that he's actually declaring the truth. That Jesus is the king. And, and, it's, and it's a powerful thing. Now, interesting, in this scene, we have a group of people who are mocking Jesus, who are attacking him. And my guess is there are people here in this room who at one point have attacked Jesus. Jesus. Who have mocked Jesus, and at some point, maybe in your in your time, you've even attacked Jesus' followers. But maybe you're not someone who's been on that side of things, and God's God's brought you to a new place, a new orientation, a new perspective. But maybe you're on another side where you see those who are mocking Jesus, who are attacking Jesus, and it ticks you off. And when you see someone who's attacking Jesus, what you want to do is practice a little spiritual kung fu on them. Am I right? that you're like, ah, oh, I don't like it that you're standing against Jesus. I don't like it that you're mocking Jesus. So I'm going to help Jesus out. And so we find ourselves doing what Peter did. The previous chapter, Luke chapter 22, Jesus has been betrayed. He's being taken uh, that night. And so what does Peter do? He takes out his sword. I'm going to defend Jesus. And he starts slashing and hacking. He ends up taking off the ear of the servant of the high priest. Felt good good to him, right? He's going to defend Jesus. What does Jesus do? He says, enough. He rebukes Jesus. sorry, he rebukes Peter, and then he heals the man. And I think that's important for us to recognize and to hear because I know that there are times and there's moments when we feel like Jesus needs us to defend him. But what he really wants is for us to act like him. And the question is, well, how did Jesus act towards those who were hostile towards him? How did Jesus act towards those who were opposed to him? What did he do? He prayed for them. Ah. And he had a forgiving posture towards them. Ah. And I think that's helpful for us to see and to recognize because I think there's times that we start hacking, that we start attacking, that we become hostile Christians towards other people. And you see the, the Facebook posts, you're going to slam them. You, see the, the, you share the video, you know, atheist destroyed by Christian and we celebrate it. Go get them, retaliate them. And I just think we need to step back and say, well, how does Jesus respond? He prays for them. He has a posture of forgiveness towards them. And so for us, listen, it is okay to speak up. It's okay to defend. It's okay to dialogue and discuss, but we need to do it the way that Jesus does, with prayer, with a posture of forgiveness, speaking the truth in love. But we miss that sometimes, don't we? And we end up damaging people in the process. And maybe you're someone here who has been on the end of it. You have been attacked by a Christian, a hostile Christian. I'll just say this, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for that experience. But just hear the prayer of Jesus on the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus doesn't need us to defend him. He wants us to act like him. This is what we need to see here. But then it's not just the the, um, soldiers. It's the criminals themselves who get in on it. In verse 39, it says this. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and uh, so one of the criminals hurled insults. The word, word insult is also where we get the word blaspheme. So he's, he's, he's speaking blaspheme against Jesus. So he's not just being rude. He's also dishonoring Christ. And in doing so, he's, he's dishonoring God. And he just says that he keeps going. He keeps railing against Jesus. He keeps railing. He keeps going after him, keeps hurling these insults. And it finally, it takes the other criminal to finally shut him up. And that's what we see in verse 40. It says this, but the other criminal rebuked him. Um, Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. It's interesting that the criminal rebukes him and tells him to stop. But we know from other accounts that both criminals started by belittling Jesus. Both criminals were hurling insults at Jesus. Well, how come is it now that this one stops and he rebukes the other? What made him stop? He heard Jesus praying. He heard Jesus praying for forgiveness of those who were hurting him. And it was such a radically different response that you know what it does in this, the heart of this criminal who had, been re, who had been adjoining in on the mockery? It changed his heart. See, when we see forgiveness demonstrated, like Jesus demonstrates forgiveness, it changes hearts and it draws people to Jesus. And that's what we see here it reminds me of the story of the missionaries in the 1950s who went to reach out to the Alca people in Ecuador. If you're not familiar with the story, it's a story of five missionaries, who, uh, men who brought their families and they moved to Ecuador to reach the unreached people, the Alca people, who are now known as the Wodani. And they moved their families and they went to reach the peop- these people who were deep in the rainforests of, of Ecuador. And these people, who are a people who had a, a, a long history of violence, of revenge killing, of hostility towards one another. In fact, um, anthropologists say that there's really no other people group that had a higher rate of killing one another than the Wadani. And before the missionaries came, They were killing each other at such a rate that they had shrunk down to 600 people. And they were at the the brink of cultural extinction. And these five men, whose names you may be familiar with, including Jim Elliott and Nate Saint, they went to reach out to these unreached people. After months of, of attempts that were positive in terms of building a bridge and building a relationship, um, they went into a place where they were to beginning to make contact. And as they were making contact with the tribal people, the Wadani turned on them. And on January 8th, 1956, all five of those men lost their life. The Wadani turned, but those men refused to retaliate. And they were speared to death. But if you know the story, you know that it doesn't end with that tragic moment. Because Elizabeth Elliot, the wife of Jim Elliot, Rachel Saint, the sister of Nate Saint, went back to the tribe, to the people, and lived among them. Elizabeth even brought their three-year-old daughter. And they, instead of choosing a path of revenge and retaliation chose a path of forgiveness. And as a result of their efforts in living among the people, the transforming good news of Jesus Christ began to melt the hearts of, people, of the people there. And the, the cycle, the history of revenge killing and violence and hostility began to break down. In fact, one of the first people to place their faith in Jesus Christ among the Wadani people, were the very man who was responsible for spearing Nate Saint. Steve Saint, Nate's son, eventually spent time living with the, the Wadani people. And he got baptized with them, by them. In fact, he was baptized by two of the men who were responsible for killing the missionaries. It's a powerful story of transformation, of change. And it's all because they chose a path of forgiveness rather than revenge. See, when we demonstrate forgiveness, it changes hearts. And it draws people to Jesus. And the question is this. What would happen if you chose to let go of your your grudge? If you were to Loosen your grip on bitterness. Instead of looking for ways to retaliate against your ex, against your boss, against your father-in-law, you instead chose a path of forgiveness over retaliation, over revenge, over grudge holding. What would happen if you demonstrated forgiveness the way that Jesus demonstrates forgiveness? It changes hearts, and it draws people to Jesus. What would happen in your home if you chose to have a posture of forgiveness towards those who are watching you? What would happen if your kids saw you choosing a path of forgiveness over revenge? What would happen if your coworkers saw you forgiving those who have wronged you? What would happen In this church, if we saw more and more people choosing to forgive one another, it changes hearts and it draws people to Jesus. That's what takes place here. This criminal, his heart was changed. He then rebuked the other criminal and said, Jesus, I need you. And he turns to Jesus. And we see this in the following verse. It says this verse 42. Then he said, Jesus, remember me. When you come, oh, sorry, let's go back to 41. Sorry. I, I jumped that. He said, We are punished justly for what we are getting. Our deeds deserve this, but this man has done nothing wrong. So he does say something that's very critical before we go to the next part. He does say something that he recognizes about himself. This criminal recognizes what we, what we all need to recognize if we want to move forward spiritually is that he's guilty. That, yes, I'm here because I've, I deserve this. And all of us here, if we want to move forward spiritually, we have to be honest with ourselves. But each one of us here has a very strong capacity to deny, to dismiss, to um, blame shift. Uh, we have all of these different capacities. But here we have a criminal who, who just recognizes, yep, I'm guilty. I deserve this. Then in verse 42, he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He makes this beautiful, simple prayer. Jesus, remember me. It's beautiful. He says, I, I recognize I'm sinful. I'm sinful. I'm guilty. Will you remember me? And he, it, it, there's, what's interesting is, you know, there's all sorts of things that maybe he leaves out, but he, but Jesus understands his heart. Jesus understands that he's turned, placed his faith in Him. He says, "I recognizes that his his own guilt," and it, we know that Jesus responds in verse forty three. Listen to Jesus' response; it's beautiful. Jesus answered him, "Truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise." Jesus says to him, "Today." you'll be with me. Not sometime in the future, but today he responds to him, you'll be with me in paradise. You will be remembered. You will be remembered. And this word paradise, it comes from this, uh, the Persian kings where they had special gardens, special uh, place that was prepared for people of honor. And Jesus is saying, today you're going to be my honored guest in heaven. And it's so powerful because this man did nothing to earn it, He did nothing to deserve it, and yet Jesus forgives him. And Jesus promises that he'll be with him. It's an incredible gift. And for some of you here, you have placed your faith in Christ. You've turned to Jesus, recognizing your own sin and your need for his forgiveness, and you've been transformed. You've received this incredible gift. And it's powerful. But if you've received the gift, listen close. We need to also be willing to give that gift away. If we've received forgiveness, then we also need to give forgiveness. So the question is this. Who angers you? Who gets under your skin? Who is it that you want to retaliate against? And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, don't ask. Don't ask me to forgive that person. I'm just saying... If you've been forgiven, you need to give forgiveness. Who is it that you avoid? Who is it that you go to great lengths to stay away from? At what point are you going to be willing to step up and forgive them? If we've received forgiveness, we need to be willing to give it away. And I know that we get stuck each and every one of us, because I know even in your own mind, you're thinking to yourself, but they don't deserve it. And you're right. They don't. But do you deserve forgiveness? Here's the thing. We, we love God's forgiveness because we don't deserve it, and we've done nothing to earn it. But we really struggle when to, to do that with someone else, don't we? They don't, they don't deserve it. They didn't earn it. They got to show me. But that's not how God does it with us. But if we've received it, we need to give it. And I know that you're thinking to yourself, you're thinking, well, wait a minute. If I forgive them, I don't even think they're going to care. Well, now you know how God feels. And then you're thinking to yourself, well, wait a minute. I mean, if I've forgiven them, I'll I'll get there. I'll, I'll forgive them. But then they end up doing the same thing all over again. oh, now you really know how God feels, right? And yet he forgives over and over and over again. And I know you're thinking, I just can't do it. I get it. This is why we need God's help. That it's all because of God and what we've received from him. And we lean into the strength that he gives us so that we can forgive those around us. We need God's help. So let's take a moment. And let's pray together and ask God to help us do the work that he needs to do in us so that he can do a work through us. Let's pray together. As we stop right now in prayer, I want to be very clear that we are stopping in God's presence. And you cannot give away what you haven't received. And if you have never received forgiveness through Jesus Christ, you can do it right now. You don't have to have a perfect prayer. God knows your heart. But now is your opportunity to recognize, Jesus, you are king. And Jesus, will you please remember me? It's your opportunity to say, God, remember me and forgive me because I need your forgiveness in my life. It's so simple, we can miss it. We can get trapped thinking we have to do something to earn it or or deserve it. But we don't. God offers it to those who turn to him in faith. And some of you perhaps have received that gift of forgiveness. to forgive. And it just seems...